Today we're, we're preparing our hearts and everything that we do, really every day, no day is different, but today we're going to be celebrating communion together. And uh, so hopefully uh, all, all the worship you see at pointing to the cross, uh, all the, the time of giving really it points to the cross. We're just giving back. We can never repay, but we're just, we're just pouring out our, our love uh, to God and, and thankfulness for what he has given in the great sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, a couple of, well, it's been over a month ago now, I think Preston's been uh, leading the adults and adult Sunday school and the Bible fellowship class there, and, and uh, he's been doing a great job and talking out of the book of Romans uh, 6, 7, and 8. I haven't been there, so you guys kind of have to fill in the details. You know what he's been talking about, but it's talking a lot about law and license. Uh, but even back in the spring, Pastor Tom gave us a book uh, called Reaching Millennials, and, and in it there's a passage, uh, Romans 14, that I was reading, and it just really struck me in a like, new, fresh way, and I was just like, wow, we need, to, we need to talk about that. And so you've been getting hammered hard out of the book of Romans with Preston, and I'm going to be following up on that today in Romans 14, which you can go ahead and open up your Bibles, and we're going to be reading uh, the whole chapter, which is like... Uh, I, I don't know, it's like suicide for pastors, because when you're going through the book of Romans, you never, like, rule one and, and, and preaching class, only take three verses at max at a time, and we're doing the whole chapter, so uh, I'm not going to go into extreme depth on every verse and every word, but there's some, there's some concepts and principles in here that are, I think are extremely uh, important for us and valuable, and we need to be talking about them in the church, and you're going to see why here in just a second. So let me go ahead and open up my Bible, make sure I get it right. I'm going to read from Romans 14, and I believe it's going to be up on the screen for you as well, if that's helpful to you, and you can just read along with us. It's a lot harder to open your Bible to the right passage when you're doing it in front of everyone, so give me just a second here. Romans 14. Romans 14 says, As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. That's a life verse for all of you meat eaters here. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, and while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For the Lord, for to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brothers? Or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account for himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment. You see some recurring themes in this, right? Do not pass judgment on one another any longer, 
but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I hope you guys didn't get caught up in all, you know, just kind of get lost in the reading of it. Sometimes reading, you just, you know, we, we start zoning out and losing things. But you keep hearing, do not judge one another. Do not judge. Do not judge. And then we're going to be talking a lot about this more, uh, that this morning. But starting off, I want to tell you about a game I used to play back in uh, college, early high school, college days. And if you ever had Windows operating system, like uh, I think it was Windows 95, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about, Windows 95. There's some free games that come on that, and one of them is called Minesweeper. Anybody know what game I'm talking about? Minesweeper? Yes, a couple of hand, heads shaking there. Minesweeper is, I love the game. It was great. I was playing a lot at Moody. You might tell by how I preach. <laughs> I was playing Minesweeper, maybe a little too much. But I liked Minesweeper because one of those things that I could just, you know, stop thinking about words and think about numbers. It's kind of a, a number logic-based game. And the way it's set up is there's a grid of tiles. And the basic ones are like like eight by eight grid of tiles. And underneath each one of the tiles, is it's either uh, blank and there's nothing there, or there are mines underneath. That's why it's called Minesweepers. Your goal is to go through and click through all the different squares and discover through logic. And every square, it'll, it'll have a, a number in it. And that square will say how many mines are around it in adjoining squares. And you use those numbers and the, you know, just uh, d- you know, deductive reasoning, figuring out where all the mines are. You want to figure out where they're at and clear the whole screen, find all the mines, and then you're good. And so, you know, you had this little 8 by 8 and that got easy, and then I did a 10 by 10 and finally I was doing like the, the tiles that like had five, uh, almost 600 tiles on it, and you had to find 100 mines. And that was really hard. I didn't do that one nearly as much, but when I did, I was like, oh yeah. Then I got good at those and I started doing it in a timed way where, you know, I was trying to do it faster and faster and faster. And the reason I talk about Minesweeper is because what Paul is doing in this passage is sweeping mines in the church. You know what I'm talking about? He's going through the church and he's talking about, uh, he's talking about issues uh, that we deal with in the church. Issues that are explosive. Issues that are explosive, sometimes obvious, sometimes we can see them, but a lot of times these issues are subcurrents within the church, that they're, they're hidden under the surface of the church culture, not talked about, but when someone steps on one, we know because they get hurt, other people get hurt, we get hurt, and they cause division, they keep the church from being an effective witness and testimony of God's love. That's how I'm defining a mind within the church, okay? Let me define it a little bit more clearly here. A mind is a strongly, are strongly held opinions, 
Minds are strongly held opinions believers hold that determine how they practically live out their faith and honor God. You wouldn't think, I mean, usually we think about sin as being minds and all these other things, and they can be, but have you ever thought about minds as being actually good things? How we practically live out our faith in God? That can be a mind that can destroy the church? Absolutely. Paul's talking about it right here. Minds are strongly held opinions believers hold that determine how they practically live out their faith and honor God. Strongly held. A mind is only explosive, you know, it only causes problems if it's, if it's a strong mind. If we go and step on, have you seen those mushrooms where you step on them and it's a little powder, like a, a cloud of spores, right? It's a fungi, I think, technically, right? Eunice, we were talking about this. You know, the ones that you step on, it's like, poof, it's a cloud of spores that just goes all over all the place and you're like, oh, that's interesting, kind of cute. That's not what we're talking about here. St- the minds in the church are strongly held opinions, strongly held. And their opinions, that means that they deal with things not explicitly stated in Scripture. This is not a matter of basic, sound doctrine that is true for all Christians at all times in all places. These are opinions. It is not a matter of sin, which is also clearly defined in Scripture. Sin is sin regardless of our opinion of it. I want to be very clear in in this definition of of what our opinions are and aren't. It's not a matter of of sound doctrine like uh, God created and the inerrancy of Scripture that God inspired all of of His Word to to us and this God God breathed. Matters of opinion are influenced by our experience, by our tradition, by our culture, and our education. And because our experience is limited we must recognize that our opinions are also limited. All right, we're going to play a little game this morning. Uh, we used to do this back in uh, like Sunday school growing up. I don't know if you remember the game. Sometimes we do it in youth group. But the game is, is I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to say something, and whether you agree with it or not, you go to one side of the room. Okay, so like uh, I'm going to say for the first one, it's going to get a little trickier here, alcohol. If you think you can drink alcohol, yes, I'm going to step in it this morning. Just so you know, we're just stepping into everything. We're going, to, we're going to blow up all these mines all this morning, get them all dealt with. Sometimes that's the only way, but hopefully it's not that bad. But if you, just in your mind, we won't make you actually get up and go to the wall, but in your mind, when I say alcohol, if you agree that believers, as Christians, you can drink alcohol, imagine yourself going to that side of the room. And if you're like, hey, Free in Christ, we can drink alcohol. You know, it's, it's not against the Bible. We, you know, you can drink, go over here. So if you're, you're against alcohol, go over there. If you're for it, go over here. Kind of get the idea. So just imagine yourself on one side of the room or the other, depending on the topic that we bring up, the mind, those opinions, the strongly held opinions that we have in life that dictate how we live out our faith and honor God. So we're going to go through these. Drinking alcohol, which wall would you be on? You against it? You for it? Pick a, pick a wall. Is everybody there? Yeah. Okay, just want to make sure. Don't cheat. Don't be lazy and sit. I mean, how easy is it to go to your mind to that side of the wall? Don't be lazy. Go to one wall or the other in your mind, okay? Drinking alcohol. Uh, might not be as big of an issue. In the European church, a lot of the Protestant churches drink alcohol all the time. American churches, not as much. Uh, but America church is, is changing a lot when it comes to alcohol, isn't it? I've heard jokes about Baptists, especially regarding fishing. They say, why should you always take two Baptists whenever you go fishing? Because if you take one, they drink all your beer. 
And it's like, you know, it's kind of funny, but the thing is, it's like there, there's one of those under things. It's one of those things we don't talk about much in the church. It's like sometimes Eve, you're just like, ooh, you know, uh, you know, don't say anything. Don't deal with it. Again, we're going to be stepping in this this morning, okay? So here's another one, smoking. No smoking. Go over there in your mind. Smoking's uh, might be okay. Go over there. I was, when I was researching this, have you, any of you heard of a guy named Charles Spurgeon? Like an amazing pastor, teacher back in the mid-1800s 18, late 1800s there. Incredible speak, a speak, a preacher. And we still are like reading his sermons and use them as devotions to this day. It's crazy because I was reading about Charles Spurgeon. Did you know that he smoked cigars? There was a, a young guy that came up to Spurgeon. And he came up to Spurgeon and, and he was a new believer. And he was like, uh, uh, Mr. Spurgeon, I just became a new believer and, and I'm trying to get rid of all my cigars. Do you know how I can dispose of them? And Charles Spurgeon, I wouldn't recommend this. He said, yeah, give them to me. <laughs> all that to say, you might be surprised who is on the other side of the room from you. We might be surprised who's on the other side of the room. Charles Spurgeon, out of all people, <laughs> you know, gambling. What side of the room are you on? Did you pick one? Okay, let me be a little more specific. What about playing cards? That used to be on a lot of church membership requirements is that you couldn't, like, gamble. You couldn't even play cards. I don't think it's not as often, but if it's not playing cards, what about casinos? Which side of the room are you on? Casinos. Did you pick a side? What about stock market? There's a lot of debate whether that's gambling or not. What about dancing? Where would you be with dancing? Pick a, pick a side. No dancing. Oh, we can dance. What about watching TV? Some people say no TV. Some people say we can have TVs that no rated R movies. Which side of the room are you on? Pick a side. Go to it now. What about secular music? Can we only listen to Christian music? Big question. What about debt? Are Christians allowed to be in debt? I don't know. Which side of the room are you going to? What about watching mixed martial arts? That's where the people are brutally beating up each other on TV a lot. You're allowed to, allowed to watch that and enjoy mixed martial arts. What about using birth control? What about tattoos and piercings? I know, I'm making you go really quick now. Some of you are just staying over there like, no, no, no. And others are like, oh, I'm going to go over here. Maybe there's not a whole lot of crossover when I'm saying these. Just pick a side. Public, private Christian school. You know, that's a big issue a lot of times. I've heard it. Uh, we, we homeschool our kids but I've heard some homeschoolers say, if you don't homeschool, you don't love your kids. Like, oh, that's kind of strong, isn't it? I've heard public school people say, if you don't send your kids to public school, then you don't love the lost. There are some very strong feelings on these topics. Pick a side. Pick a side. What about living a luxurious lifestyle? God's blessed you with wealth. Should we just, we should give it? to people in need, right? What about living a luxurious lifestyle? Starting to get a little, little uncomfortable yet? Working on Sunday, observing Halloween and Christmas. That's a tricky thing for some people. Worship style, instruments, how you dress for church. You know, whether you dress up or whether you dress down. Uh, here's a cool one. Trump or Hillary or neither. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Pick a side. Watch the Super Bowl halftime show or not. It gets, it gets just very sometimes mundane, just like who cares, but there are people with very strong opinions on these kind of matters. 
What would you think about the people on the opposite side of the room? That's where we're really going with this. Whichever side of your room you were on in most of those questions. What did you think, what do you think about the people on the other side? How do you view them? Would you still hang out with them? Would you still talk to them? Would you still fellowship with them? And here's the clincher, would you like it? We can do all those things, but would you like it? That's a little bit harder. Now, instead of going through each one of these and telling you what I think and in the process offend every single person in this room, stepping on every single mind at the same time and offending all of you, I'm going to direct our attention to Scripture because it is more balanced, it is more gentle and safe in its approach, and hopefully we can take away a few principles that will help us to learn to diffuse the minds that exist in every single church and live at peace with the diversity in our opinions. And I am passionate about this topic, guys, because our church that we were at in Wisconsin before we came here was destroyed for a period of time. God is faithful and rebuilds this church. It's cool to see it thriving again. But there is a period of time that the church and its testimony was destroyed because of one of these landmines. We have got to learn to diffuse these issues and not judge each other. And that's why we're talking about the, this, this topic this morning. Two issues in this passage that we read, though, is diet and sacred days. Those two issues. Diet is one that I looked at, and you know, when you're thinking about it, it's like, oh, that doesn't seem like that big of an issue. I didn't have any dietary you know, uh, minds in that list of things. But if you start trying to get a guy who likes meat to stop eating meat, you're going to start creating some issues in the church. If you try to get a vegetarian to eat meat or someone who's gluten intolerant to eat gluten and wheat, all of a sudden you're realizing that diet is a big deal. And dietary uh, issues was is massive in this early church. It was a huge landmine because you had Jews who had grown up you know, for years and years and years where they had strict dietary restrictions and laws. They couldn't eat unclean foods. They had to be prepared in kosher ways. They could, you know, it was very strict. And their whole life, their upbringing, they were taught, if you go away from these, God will, will condemn us. And that was the way it was. God said, if you obey these in the Old Testament, I will bless you. And if you disobey them, I will curse you. And they disobeyed a whole lot. And they got, you know, they got the smackdown because of it. And they finally got, by the time of Jesus, they were so good at following rules, they made rules to help them follow the rules. They were like ultra rule followers. And so it was ingrained in them, don't deviate from the rules at all. It was really really embedded in them and their lifestyle. Don't eat those unclean foods. For the Gentiles, they had their other set of dietary issues because for the Gentiles, a lot of them came out of paganism. They all worshipped some different god, and as part of that worship to the pagan god, they would sacrifice meat, and they would use the leftover meat and provide, sell it for cheap in the markets, and people would buy it. But did you realize that by buying that meat, it was actually almost, it was a form of pagan worship by eating that meat that was sacrificed to that idol. And so these Gentiles who came out of that paganism are like, I can't eat that meat. You know, that's, oh, that's, that's horrible. That's bad. I can't do that. So can you just imagine the issues that are coming up within the church about the Jews and all these lists of things they can't eat and all these pagans and lists of things they can eat and they can't eat. And then all of a sudden, you know, like God comes in and, and uh, you know, and, and gives Peter this vision. You remember back in Acts, I think it was, Peter got that vision of, of all these unclean animals. And God's like, go and eat the animals, Peter. And they, Peter's like, no, those are unclean. I can't do that. God's like, go and eat the animals, Peter. 
And not only, you know, it wasn't just a dietary thing. It was like not only could they start eating different things, they were also, the Jews were also supposed to start hanging out with the Gentiles, things that they could never do before. Their world was rocked by Jesus. Their world was dramatically changed. They once were ruled by law, and now they have this amazing freedom that they were liberated by some of these things because rules didn't solve the problem. Jesus did. Jesus liberated them from all these things. And so they have these issues. They have these huge issues. I like to think of it. I heard a, a, an illustration once about an elephant. And there was this big elephant. And the big elephant was, had a chain. And this chain, you know, to keep it from running off. And the chain went to a, a relatively small little tiny stake that was pounded in the ground. If you've ever seen an elephant, like, lift up tree trunks, you know, and all these kind of things. With its trunk, you're just like, Wow. And then you see this big elephant that's chained up to this tiny little stake in the ground. You're like, why is that elephant still there? Why is that el- stupid elephant way stronger than that stake? And the reason why is when that, st- that elephant was a little baby, they, would, they, stake, they chained the, the little baby elephant up to that stake in its whole life. When it was little, it couldn't get away. And it lived that way for so long, it never thought he could pull away. And he was always chained to that stake. That's a lot of like the, what the Jews and the Gentiles were like in this early church. They'd grown up this way. It was ingrained in their hearts. And I, ho- I hope you have a little, when we talk a little about bi- little baby elephants, we kind of get all compassionate and all like, oh, we should be like that towards other people too. Because we've, we've all got different experiences and been brought up different ways. We all got our chains and we all got our shackles to ways we've been brought up that make us think that life can only be lived a certain way in our way. And God, when we, when we become Christians, he's, he's liberating us from those chains and those shackles to uh, not just sin, but to the, some of the entanglements that sin has caused and created in our culture and our churches and, and all these other things. So there's two issues, diet and sacred days. The sacred days, it was that some people celebrated, you know, the Sabbath was on Saturdays for Jews, right? And there's all sorts of sacred days and, and you know, which ones do we observe or not observe? And I'm not going to go really in depth in this, but we still have sacred days. Stop doing church on Sundays. Don't do Easter or Christmas. And you'll realize we got sacred days. We do. But Christians differ on even and whether how much emphasis to put on those and whether to recognize them or not. We've got sacred days too. But all the same, there's two issues, and there are two sides on those issues. There are the, Paul defines them as weak brothers and strong brothers. Weak brothers, when we think of weak brothers, a lot of times we're like, you know, brothers who are uh, walking in sin. They lack conviction, and because of that, they're walking in sin. That's what we think of a weak brother most of the time, right? That's what we think of. But in here, when Paul's talking about a weak brother, it is not someone who is walking in sin. This passage is not directed to carnal Christians. This passage is directed to people who are devoted followers of Jesus Christ, who are trying to practically live out their faith in their everyday lives. These aren't people who lack conviction. If anything, they have strong convictions. They have convictions, but the problem is that their convictions were not fully liberated by God's truth. They were still shackled to some of the, the cultural, traditional, uh, all education, whatever the shackles could be, all sorts of things, they were still shackled. Those were the weak brothers. And on the un, uh, other side, we've got the strong brothers. And the strong brothers were those who were, their convictions in regard to their opinions reflected the deeper truths of the gospel and the freedoms that we have in Christ. 
Sunday, and this is the truth, and Paul kind of talks about it a little bit. He was like, Sunday is the Lord's day, and it should be a holy day. Amen? Amen. But then it's like, but God didn't just create Sunday or the Sabbath, Saturday, however you want to look at it here. He created Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So Monday should be holy. Tuesday's holy. Wednesday's holy. You know, you can just go through the whole list. That's the truth. That's the, that's the spiritual truth of it. They're all holy. The other truth as far as like diet goes is who created all the food? God did. So whose is the food? God's food. So what food can we eat? God's food. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's extremely liberating when, when we start engaging with it. And I don't mean to you know, make that like in your face kind of thing, but there's, there's a certain liberty that God has given us when we start to experience the freedoms we have in Christ. But sometimes those, uh, those liberties and the opinions and some of the struggles we have from our past, they collide and they turn into minds because we got differing opinions that we strongly hold and when we step on them, they blow up. People blow up and we have conflict within the church. Ironically, the divide between strong and weak was really not as big because both groups were sinning in the exact same way. I want you to get this really clearly. It was not their actions that were sinful. It was not that they ate certain foods or abstained from eating certain foods. It was not their actions that were sinful, but their thoughts towards other people who were doing things differently. That is the sin in this passage. Not the actions, but the attitudes towards other believers who are practicing their faith in different ways than you are convicted of. That is the sin. That is destructive to the church. That will destroy our witness and testimony in the world around us. There was a disunity in the church over matters of opinion. Not doctrine, not sin, but opinions. We are entitled to our opinions. We've heard that a few times, right, growing up. You're entitled to your opinion. Yes, we are, but when those opinions are elevated to the level of doctrine, and that's our issue, when we elevate our opinions to the level of doctrine, of God's word, we're making a prescription. We're prescribing our opinions for all Christians, all believers, at all time, in all places. Our opinions become heretical. They become hurtful, and they are sinful. That's hard, isn't it? Our opinions, when they were practicing their opinions just on their own in their own conviction, there was no problem. But when they started judging others for not practicing that same opinion, it becomes heretical, it becomes hurtful, and it becomes sinful. Here's the danger. If we, if we in the church make a big deal about things that really don't matter, why should people think that the gospel really matters? If we make... A big deal about things that really don't matter. Why should people think that the gospel is something that really matters? If we are yelling, stop drinking, as loud as we are yelling, you need Jesus, that cheapens the gospel. Stop drinking the message or you need Jesus the message. We can't yell our opinions louder than we're yelling the gospel. Yelling the gospel is our message that we are taking to the world. And our opinions and everything else cannot be yelled as loudly. If what people are hearing is all of our little opinions, they're missing out. It cheapens the gospel. They're going to stop listening. On the other hand, our opinions can pollute the gospel and make people think that they have to be perfect Christians before God will accept them. Stop drinking. Stop smoking. They're hard habits to kick, even for Christians. God is laying it on their heart. 
Why put a stumbling block in the way? A guy named David Stark in this book that pastor gave to us called Reaching Millennials, he, he has a quote in there and it says, when we do not stick to the essentials of Christianity and allow for diversity on the non-essentials, these are all very crucial words, when we do not stick to the essentials of Christianity and allow for diversity on the non-essentials, we will find people rejecting the whole concept of Christianity altogether. We've got to get this right. The main thing has to be the main thing. The classic response to this conflict and problems in the church is to make rules and laws. That's what we do, right? If there's a problem, you know, if somebody like bumps their head, you know, on a bike, oh, everybody's got to wear bike helmets all of a sudden because, you know, probably a good idea. I shouldn't pick that one. But before long, we're all going to be walking down the hallways with bike helmets because people like hit their heads. Sometimes they just do that. We like making rules. Something goes wrong. Let's make a rule. We all, you know, we complain about rules. All of us complain about the rules. But I think secretly down in our heart, we love rules. We just don't like it when other people make them. We love making rules for for everybody else. I do this in youth group all the time. We play games, and and I just make up rules all the time. The teens hate it, but I'm like, yeah, I'm a youth pastor. I get to do that kind of thing. I'm loving it because I'm making them. They hate them because they're not. Amen, teens, right? Amen, amen. Oh, you do love my rules. Thank you. I'll keep doing that. The Christians responded in the Roman church, responded to this problem, this conflict, by making more rules. Don't eat or eat. And these kind of rules uh, regarding our personal preferences, opinions, when they're applied to others, they don't solve anything at all. God gave us a set of rules in the Old Testament, and even God recognized that rules couldn't save, rules don't free, rules don't solve the problems. Jesus didn't come to this earth and be like, you clearly didn't obey the first set of rules. I'm going to give you another set of rules on top of the old ones. The rules, is not, you know, that's not what is solving the problem. Yet we have, in the church, a lot of times we, we make rules when we see problems instead of, you know, in, instead of, Addressing the problem, we make rules hoping that that will solve the issue, but it doesn't. Sometimes I think we like to make rules because, get this, it's easier to make, it's easier to follow a rule than it is to learn and listen to obey the voice of God. Rules we can follow mindlessly. We can tune out, we can turn off, rule, boom, I know what my answer is going to be. But a conversation with God in any given moment about a decision you need to make takes a close relationship of God, a constant dependency and intentionality and an effort, doesn't it? That's a lot harder. When I used to go to school in, in Chicago, and uh, there's homeless guys all over the place. And we walked down the street, and I remember when we first got there, and it was just kind of like, I heard people say, there's so many. I mean, you couldn't get to where you were going if you stopped for every single homeless person you saw. And they were like, just don't give money to any homeless person. That's, that's bad. It's just encouraging the addictions and all these other things that they're going through in life. And, and so, you know, for a long time, I just walked down the street and I ignored every single person that I, I saw. That was a rule that had a practical reasoning and some, some good intent behind it. It sounded really nice, but it took me a while and I realized, I was like, that rule kept me from having a, sensit- a constant sensitivity, the Holy Spirit speaking to me in my everyday life on an individual basis on whether I should help and how I should help a person. That rule, good intents and purposes, totally prohibited me from relying on the Spirit of God in my life. And what Paul in his response on how to answer these issues and these minds in the church, the answer wasn't more rules. It was like, you guys need to be 
You need to be listening to the, to the Spirit of God in your life. Stop making rules. Stop being judgmental. That's what rules do is they make us judgmental. Start listening to the Holy Spirit and making decisions on how your faith is practically lived out on an each and every day basis. You know, make it, uh, make it by a case-by-case basis. When somebody is you know, saying, you know, eat this, be like, Lord, what should I do? Is it a weaker brother near me that might fall or stumble? Could this have adverse effects to the body of Christ and to unity or someone who doesn't know God? You know, it's like all of a sudden it's like an individual, it's like a sensitivity to God. Isn't that what the Christian faith is? We listen to God every moment. We, this is why we need to be praying without ceasing is because when we make rules, we don't have to pray without ceasing because everything is predetermined by the rule. But when we get rid of that and live life as God has meant us to live it, all of a sudden, we're like, I don't know what to do. And the crazy thing is God might have you do one thing one time in the exact same situation. He might have you do something totally different another time. And we don't know which it's going to be, but we have to be sensitive to God and what he is speaking into our lives and what he wants us to do. Is this kind of clear? I hope it's being clear. So the key is fourteen uh, Romans 14, 6. Actually, I'm going to skip back a little bit. I skipped over a whole lot here. I don't know how far back to go. Romans 14, 3. They were making the rules, only eat vegetables, only eat meat. You know, they're doing their whole thing. Uh, Paul was saying it's, it's okay if you want to just eat vegetables. That's a, good, that's a good solution for you if you're convicted on that. He said it's better if, you, you know, if you, you're able to eat meat because that reflects the freedom we have in Christ. That's, that's better. It's more theologically accurate. But the best thing that Paul said in, in resolving these minds was unity and diversity. Stop judging. Romans 14.3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are we? If God has welcomed him, who are we to not welcome him? God received him. God embraced him. And God liked it. God loved it. Who are we to receive others in the body of Christ any differently just because they have different opinions than we do? The principles, the rules we make, a couple of principles to wrap this up. The rules we make on matters regarding opinion should only rule ourselves. Romans 14, 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. But each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The rules we make on matters regarding opinion should only rule ourselves. God holds us accountable for our convictions, not others. When it comes to matter of opinion, second thing, when it comes to matters of opinion, what we do matters less than why we do it. What we do matters less than why we do it. The two things why we do it from this passage is we do it to honor God and we do it to maintain unity within the body of Christ. Romans 14, 6 says, the one who observes the day observes it to the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. See, the tension here is that Paul tells us that it's possible for believers to do two seemingly different, contradictory, opposite things and still be right before God. Isn't that crazy? That's, that's some serious tension that we got to be comfortable with within the church. It's possible to do two completely opposite things and still for us to both be right before God. Who are we to judge those who God has welcomed and received? 
You know, right now, it's, I, I pick on it a little bit because it's, it's not a huge issue, but it's one that we've been talking through as a church is just how our dress standard. This morning, I dressed a little more casually. Some people are like, I'm not casual enough. Some people are like, he's not dressed up enough. You know what I'm talking about. We've been talking about, you know, wearing jeans and shorts and all these, all these other kinds of things. And part of that conversation is, and, and I've heard Pastor Tom and I are probably representative of the two different sides, and, and Pastor Tom is... It probably drives him nuts how I dress sometimes, honestly. probably drives him to complete bonkers, but he has never spoken a negative word to me about how I dress. Dressing up in suits drives me bonkers, and I will never talk down about Pastor Tom and how he dresses. And this is why. It's because, and I've heard, this, I've, I've heard reasoning behind people when they want to dress up their best on Sundays, and they, it's because people want to give their best to God. That is God-honoring, righteous pursuit of holiness, and it should not be looked down on. Should not. But on the other side, there are people who want to dress down because there's people who don't have dress, nice dress clothes and say we want to make people who don't have those, clothes, those kind of clothes, we want to make them feel welcome and embrace them into the body of Christ. And I look at that and I say, that is a righteous and holy pursuit of God. They're opposite. They're seemingly contradictory. If we make rules, we're going to offend everyone. But if we teach you, instead of making rules, let's teach each other. Let's, let's live in love with each other and stop judging each other for doing something different. Because when we do it and our convictions are based on maintaining unity within the church, reaching the lost, honoring God, it's good. It's good. And we have to recognize how God's will is being played out in other people's lives. A basketball team full of all point guards is no good at all. A baseball team full of all pitchers is no good at all. We need the diversity within the body of Christ to meet the diversity of people who are out in the world and need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. We're going, to go, uh, we're going to celebrate communion this morning. And I, I was kind of struggling with how to tie this in. I mean, it fits really well because communion is, is about being in a right relationship with God while also being in a right relationship with others. We can't be in a right relationship with God if we've got things that separate us from our brothers and sisters in Christ. So it fits really nice and neat in here in, in communion and, and being able to remember that we're, communion, we're communing with God and communing with others. But as I was reading through Matthew 26, it kind of struck me in a different way because it was, it was interesting that it said that us as Christians, as we celebrate communion, we take and we eat the body. You know, we eat the bread, symbolic of the body of Christ that was broken for us. And we, take, we drink the, the juice, the cup, to remember, uh, to remember about the, the blood of Jesus that was spilt on our behalf. And what we are doing is we are, we're not just remembering what Jesus did on the cross, but the last part of that, that uh, passage on, on communion says we are doing this until the day that we have a feast with the great marriage supper of the Lamb, until we have this great feast in heaven. We are doing this, not just looking back, but we are looking forward to something, a time we get to celebrate in the presence of Jesus. And we're doing that by eating. But do you know how Jesus is celebrating and looking forward to that same day that he gets to eat with his people, he's abstaining from, from food and drink. He says, you eat and drink this and look forward to that coming day. And it says, Jesus is abstaining from eating and drink. He is not partaking in any of that until he is back together with his, his family, his children. Isn't that cool? 
God's doing it. Jesus is doing it one way and we're doing it the other way. And yet they both glorify God. Isn't that cool? We need to do that as a family, as a, as a body of Christ. We need to clean our little reflective mirror, get rid of the minds. Let's step up. Let's, let's safely diffuse the minds before, you know, you know, before people step on them. Let's talk about these things. Let's extend a welcome and an embrace, and let's like it when we get to fellowship with each other. Really embrace it.